0: Hello and welcome to Crime Theories of the Record, the podcast series where I talk about my interpretation of crime theories. This is your host, Karen. In today's episode, I'll be building on cultural attenuation through the concept of legal cynicism. But before I jump into this, I would like to remind everyone that I have done some research on the topic but don't consider myself an expert in every aspect of my field. Now, before we dig into legal cynicism, it is important to explore police legitimacy. Since we have been discussing neighborhoods, I want you to take a step back and consider your own community. Now, think about your own perceptions of the police and if you would call them for help if someone were to break into your home. Depending on your community and possible interactions with law enforcement, you already have an answer and a perception towards law enforcement. If your interactions with law enforcement are limited, your opinion could possibly be informed by the media and other social depictions of law enforcement. Griefs in community policing have been at the forefront of national consciousness since civil rights movements started getting traction throughout the pandemic, with high-profile tragedies that depict repeated instances of police violence against unarmed civilians around America and the world, bringing awareness to the contemporary crisis of police legitimacy systemic racism, and the need for criminal justice reform. Following nationwide political unrest after Michael Brown was shot and killed by police in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014, President Barack Obama's Task Force on 21st Century Policing identified building trust and legitimacy as a foundational goal of effective and just policing. For the purpose of this episode, legitimacy is the belief that an individual group or institution has the authority to dictate an individual's behavior and demand their cooperation. Hence, legitimacy is vital to the effective function of police as a social institution. When police lack legitimacy, residents are less likely to contact police or help with their investigations. It gets worse when police-public interactions charged by distrust are more likely to escalate into contests for dominance and status that can lead to the injury or death of police and the public alike. Such interactions fool a cycle of mutual antipathy that further weakens, if not destroys, police-public relations and frustrates public safety. In light of the contemporary crisis of police legitimacy and recognition of the damage caused by aggressive policing and mass incarceration, community-oriented policing has reemerged as a potential policy tool for improving police-community relations. Off the record, for those who are familiar with community-oriented policing, also known as COP, Such initiative encourages positive non-enforcement contacts between police officers and the public, which has been widely promoted as a policy intervention for building public trust and enhancing police legitimacy. In this manner, the emphasis of policing shifts from punitive to encouraging agencies to proactively develop solutions to the immediate underlying conditions contributing to public safety problems. Police legitimacy is important to any community-based public safety initiative. Because residents' sentiments about the police have consequences for how effective police can be in responding to crime and for the establishment of community oriented policing. Hence, the quote unquote narrative around crime and policing is the undertone to all of law enforcement's community safety efforts. Police legitimacy is usually understood to have two components first, trust and confidence in the police, and two, a feeling of obligation to obey the police. However, when researching police legitimacy, research has shown that when police officers treat people with dignity and respect and are fair and neutral in their actions, those people are more likely to cooperate with the police and obey the law more generally. Interestingly, researchers have also found the opposite. When police act in a way that does not inspire trust and confidence, people are likely to respond with fear and alienation and avoid future contact with the police. Interactions between the police and government officials is a fundamental part of democratic political socialization, with negative experiences undermining trust and political efficacy, particularly in criminal justice. Research consistently shows that minorities are more likely than their white counterparts to view law enforcement with suspicion and distrust. Minorities frequently report that the police disproportionately single them out because of their race or ethnicity, and though this story is depressingly familiar, Data shows that whites hold the police in higher regard than do minorities, but race has not been found to directly influence how people form opinions about law enforcement. In fact, when researchers control for factors such as the level of neighborhood crime, the reported quality of police-citizen encounters, and other demographic variables such as age, income, and education, the effects of race disappear entirely or were substantially reduced. In a middle-class suburban neighborhood, criminal acts, especially violent offenses such as robbery and shootings, are not daily events. In fact, they are so rare that when transpired, they tend to be front-page news. If a crime were to happen, or even if a burglar alarm sounds for some unknown reason, residents assume that the police will come quickly when cold. When officers arrive on the scene, it is anticipated that they will be concerned and courteous, especially to any victims. We also assume that they will try to help as best as they can. Taken together, the lack of crime and the responsiveness of the police are clear evidence to citizens that the legal system works on their behalf. It is because of that that this middle-class resident will more likely manifest a belief or faith in the law. They see it as, quote-unquote, just, legitimate, and responsive. The experience of residents in high-crime inner-city neighborhoods is often different. Serious offenses seem to be a commonplace and to make walking about the neighborhood risky. Whether completely true or not, the police are seen as either too absent, in which it almost seems like they do not care enough about the community to be present to fight crime, or too present, in which they stop and hassle people who have done nothing wrong. It is when crime happens, or help is needed, that officers are seen as unresponsive or arriving late on the scene, if at all. When police do arrive, they are perceived as treating people disrespectfully. For inner-city residents, then, the legal system is viewed as not working on their behalf. As a result, their belief or faith in the law weakens or attenuates. This form of cultural attenuation or disorganization has been termed legal cynicism. Off the record, I've experienced both. And before anyone tries to attack me for feeling either way, Let me explain that as a minority, my personal experience with law enforcement is dependent on the situation and the officer, and in a weird case, jurisdiction. So for context, I have only contacted law enforcement to get a police report on file if there's a public disturbance or I'm afraid for my life. The other possible time that I can think of where I interacted with the police was campus police, and that is only because they have never failed me and I have actually been escorted back to safety thanks to them the other times it was because they were hardcore emergencies like life or dead. Any other time that I had to call law enforcement or I interacted with law enforcement as a civilian, I have already been victimized and the police took an hour or more to arrive and by them I'm already like processing my emotions and in no mood to talk to them or I'm already forgetting details. So it sort of depends for me what is going on and whether the incident is happening But just like I have had instances where the police have been late to help me, there are instances where law enforcement has helped me and guided me to resources that could help with the aftermath. So I will personally tell people to always call the police, but feel sort of hypocritical when I also feel iffy about them. So a little history lesson about legal cynicism is that it was originally developed by Samson and Bartusk, 1998. Legal cynicism theory is an attempt to explain why belief in traditional culture becomes attenuated in some neighborhoods but not in others, and then to explore its criminogenic consequences. Kirk and Matsuda, 2011, define legal cynicism as a cultural orientation in which the law and its agents are viewed as illegitimate, unresponsive, and ill-equipped to ensure public safety. As noted, daily experiences with crime and the police affect levels of cynicism, but such negative views toward the law also are tied to neighborhood conditions. Concentrated disadvantage appears to be one important source. Perhaps we should not be surprised of Sir Sampson and Bart Stuck, 1998, quote unquote, that those most exposed to the numbing reality of pervasive segregation and economic subjugation become cynical about human nature and legal systems of justice. Kirk and Papa Christos, 2050, argued persuasively that another salient source is the hyper-incarceration of African-American males. Inner-city communities experience a churning of many men into and out of prison. This constant contact with legal authorities often breeds cynicism about the system's so-called commitment to justice views that are shared with children, other family members, and acquaintances. But if you're willing and interested in learning about the topic, you should totally read the book, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness by Michelle Alexander. Importantly, evidence suggests that neighborhoods with higher levels of legal cynicism have high rates of crime, including of violence and homicides. Unlike cultural deviance theory, which I will be discussing next week, legal cynicism theory does not argue that people commit crimes, including acts of violence, because they value or approve of such conduct. This is a very technical point, but it is the key issue that separates two distinct cultural approaches to crime. First, the attenuation perspective that links crime to a weakening of conventional cultural standards, which means that controls are loosened. And second, it's the cultural deviance perspective that links crime to the internalization of criminal cultural standards that approve crime. Of course, Samson and Bartos argue that legal cynicism in a neighborhood can be quite widespread even though residents quote-unquote personally condemn acts of deviance and violence that make life more uncertain. Kirk and Papacristos explained that legal cynicism is best seen as a frame of reference that affects how people interpret their world and define what realistic choices are available to them. By constraining decisions, legal cynicism can create conditions conductive to crime. For example, if residents do not believe that the police will be responsive, they may be less likely to report a crime, which in turn decreases the likelihood that predators will be arrested. They also may be reluctant to intervene in a victimization incident if they fear that the police cannot protect them against retaliation from offenders. Further, it is difficult to create collective efficacy to deal with the local crime problem if nobody believes that the legal system will listen to citizens and act effectively. Finally, if individuals high on legal cynicism are being threatened physically or have had property stolen, they may see contacting the police as a waste of time and believe that they must take matters into their own hands. This view can result in their using violent means to protect themselves or to exact justice as a response. Spoiler alert! In the show Criminal Minds Season 2, Episode 12, Profiler Profiled, the Behavioral Analysis Unit team must delve into Agent Morgan's past to prove his innocence when he is arrested on a charge of murder in Chicago. Though the episode addresses the concept of grooming, which is defined by the federal government as a method used by offenders that involves building trust with any individual under age of 18 and the adults around any individual under the age of 18, in an effort to gain access to and time alone with them. In extreme cases, offenders may use threats and physical force to sexually assault or abuse the minor. More common, though, are subtle approaches designed to build relationships with the family. Though the episode does focus on that important topic, it is alluded to that Morgan's family suffers from high levels of legal cynicism, as his son, Morgan, was targeted by the police as a minor. The lack of positive interactions with law enforcement could most likely be the reason why his family suffers from high levels of legal cynicism, and even Morgan admits that he was afraid of the police as a minor. It is those perceptions and interactions that are measured when studying legal cynicism and police legitimacy. Off the record, I know I suffer from some level of legal cynicism, but in my defense, I was raised in Mexico and the closest police station near my house is 11 minutes walking, 3 minutes in car, and 4 minutes biking. So I don't know why the police took so long to arrive when they had also received calls from my neighbors that someone had broken into my house. But whatever, it happened, but don't be me. Though we're still covering aspects of the Chicago School, I will be covering cultural deviance theory next week as it is rooted in the Chicago School's idea that there is cultural conflict between definitions favorable to violating the law and definitions unfavorable to violating the law. Off the Record. This podcast series is brought to you by Encore. Thank you for listening and choosing this podcast. If you're loving what you're learning, follow us on Instagram at ct.offtherecord. That is at ct.offtherecord, where you can visualize some of these theories and get some scoops on upcoming episodes. Come join us and please rate, review, and subscribe on Spotify or whatever platform you're listening from. And don't forget to join me for next week's episode.